Well, I'm really pleased to say now that I'm joined by Paul Lawrence, who, for those of you certainly in the greyhound racing industry, will know very well, have pretty much been involved in all aspects of the sports, uh, from commentating to all sorts of media roles, kennel hands, uh, racing manager, and of course, professional punter, which is, I guess, what we're most interested in at Pool. In terms of professional punting, I'm interested to know, when did you realise that you kind of went from a recreational gambler to a professional? Well, that was easy. Um, that was 2001 when I was, I was going to Romford and I just started broadcasting. Uh, I'd been going to Romford for quite a lot and spoke to Graham Blomfield, who was the, the odds compiler and, a, and the on-course rep at, at Philabrooks. And obviously I knew him through Crayford. And he said, why don't you try and get the videos here at Romford and, and have a go? And he, he kind of took me under his wing, really, showed me the ropes and, it, and then he just took off from there. And from there, you did meet other people that were very influential on you. And uh, you, you said that you used to stay over the cheap side of Romford, but there you met a lot of people that sort of guided you along the way. Yeah, when I first, when I first started going to Romford, which was the, the first track I ever went to, when I, I moved uh, to Essex from, I come from Boston in Lincolnshire originally, and, and applied to, to join Ford Motor Company. It was a, it was a new uh, a course, it was a college course and also uh, on the job training as well within Dagenham and a lot of the lads used to go to to, to Romford there was, they, they came from all parts of the country and it, it became you know like a social thing and yeah we used to go over the cheap side and I, and I met guys I, I spotted guys there that I thought wow you know they know what they're talking about and it, it turned out they became long life friends later on in life and it's hilarious i think the man who actually introduced you to gambling and to dog racing at romford was actually your college teacher yeah it was my college tutor yeah he, he paul he he it's, it's like most things i suppose it, he was he moved he, he was from birmingham and he used to go to perry bar and, and monmore and and he said come on lads we'll, we'll go over to romford dogs and and uh, it, it was just once i went there and the atmosphere and the kind of camaraderie, I think, that was always gone with greyhound racing, it just grabbed me straight away. And we ended up sort of, it was only like having pounds and two pounds, and we ended up having a fiver on one, that on, on his say-so, and of course it won, and then you just you just don't look back from then. It was, it was incredible. He gave you a book as well on betting strategy. So from the very early days, you were kind of thinking about it, you know, a bit more seriously than maybe a, a, a genuine recreational punter. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, I've always been kind of analytical. Um, the reason I actually joined Ford was because I was going to go to, to Middlesex Polytechnic and I only got one A-level and that was maths. Um, I failed my German and I was devastated at the time. But like my dad said, you know, you've got to go out there and, and push yourself. My, my uncle worked for Ford and it kind of worked out beautifully because I lived with my auntie and uncle in Harold Hill and then, you know, Romford was just up the road. And uh, he, he gave me a book. And it was about a guy that went up and down the country betting horses. And, and it was something that really stuck with me in that he kept records of his bets. And also it was a theory of horses coming late and define the handicapper. So have a quick in touch. And it's always sort of stuck with me in that you need to bet winners. And if you think about it with dogs, you need to bet winning dogs and not you know dogs that, that don't really want to win. And, and, and that was something that that's, it kind of can always bite you on the bum you, with with betting dogs and watching videos now, you always need to find out the genuine ones and the ones that aren't so genuine. 
from the early days though when you developed the interest in the sport you actually started applying for jobs in the sport and that took you first of all down the route of being assistant racing manager and then racing manager I'm really interested in how that maybe influenced your view on betting greyhounds because you see things from the opposite side yeah I mean when when I was going to Romford as I say I was only a, a small time punter anyway and then I ended up going to to the new Crayford with with a, a couple of friends again out of Fords, and then they started having dogs at Rye House. So I kind of went went along with them to Rye House, and a job came up as an assistant racing manager. And I've been at I've been at Fords for ten years, and I just wanted to to do something that that little bit different and um, and getting into. It was a big jump, obviously, to, to leave Fords in the first place after being there 10 years, but I just was so into grounds, it, it appealed to me and became an, an assistant. And then you learn all the, the traits of how to grade, trials, watching dogs, where they run, you know, that, that sort of thing, and learning about the mechanics of, of, of the sport in general, really. And, of course, Crayford being associated with Labrooks, learning very much from the, the bookies' side. Yeah, I mean, to go from somewhere like Rye House, which was quite a, you know, a, a backwater track, if you like, without too much sort of high, being high profile. I, I then applied, I was only there, I think, 14 months in as, as an assistant at, at Rye House and ended up applying for, a, I ended, I'll tell you a story, actually, before I applied for the Crayford job, I applied for a job at the Racing Post. Um, and it got down to two people. I, was, I went for a second interview, Mark Palmer was the editor then. And, um, the, the man that got the job was Hobbsy. So then I carried on on um, applying for, for different jobs and, and the and the Crayford race manager's job came up. And, and again, I think I was kind of lucky in that they looked, they wanted someone that was young and enthusiastic and, and I kind of fit the bill really because I didn't have massive experience. So I think Labrook's way, they kind of then show you how they want you to, to operate. And, and obviously Labrook's been a massive company and I think most people within the sport would always say that the Labrooks and the Corals tracks are probably the, the best run tracks uh, that, that we've got. How important would you say those times in the racing office were to you know, your, your career now as a professional punter? Yeah, well, I think really learning about how grading works and, and yeah, because you, you, as a race manager, you're making it hard for the punter. So you, 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 you need to understand how to make a... A competitive race and when we first got there there was a uh, jerry bailey was there actually and jerry bailey he used to own right house weirdly enough um and he, he he was a you know obviously very very experienced man but they'd had um roy dwight originally he was elton john's cousin and he was more of a footballer but he was a nice he was a nice fella but he probably was just a, a stopgap i think because peter reagan died unfortunately and they 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 really had Kind of an inexperienced racing manager and when they took me on yeah i was inexperienced but they always wanted you to grade three the field and that was something that race bolding who was the race manager at rye house when i was there he he was renowned for that when he was walthamstow racing manager so i kind of got that that kind of ethos and that work ethic of of making it competitive and they used to have a bonus scheme there at, at um at Crayford and they just kept making it harder and harder we kept achieving the bonuses and it was like a team effort Adam Gutman was my assistant Harry Bull ended up being uh, also an assistant 
And then I think Adam left, and then we took on Danny Raymond, and Danny Raymond's been there for years and years and years since. And it's I think that's the that's it. that is the Labrooks way, Julie. I think that's the way they try and and, and kind of get the best, basically, and 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 maintain high standards. So they try to get their edge by constantly changing up the people that are coming in to look at things maybe slightly differently. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I just, I, I, I just think that that uh, yeah, Labrooks are probably one of the the leading players, aren't they, within the industry? I mean, I remember they they tried to, they were improving the tracks. They tried to, they always try to to go forward. Or even at one stage, thinking about running under their own rules, and you know, I, I think that to a certain extent that that shows you. There is a, an element of, of control of, of, of bookmakers and, and getting their own in their own little world as well. And in, in the end, I think that probably got to me somewhat. And I got, I think I got too engrossed within that. And again, it was that ten-year cycle, and then I started looking for for jobs again. You know, I know I was going to say that because you were constantly on the lookout for jobs, be it the racing posts or at tracks. Was it to uh, subsidise uh, your gambling, or was it that just what you wanted to do? You wanted to work in greyhound racing. Yeah, no. I mean, I've always lo- I've always loved working within the industry, and obviously, I've, uh, when I met uh, uh, Kim, my wife, at, at uh, when we were at Rye House, we were training then, and it's you know when you when you when you, she actually went on holiday. I think we first met. I got a Kenlands license. She went on holiday with her brother, and I put. Uh, the dog I really forget his name, Craganock Snow, a big white dog. He was a sprinter. Put him in the traps and then picked him up and he won it. And it was the first race he'd ever won as well. And it's kind of you, you just get that sort of you get hooked. Funny enough, Ray, Ray Spalding, he was his wife trained Greyhounds as well. And I think that was another and he bred litters. And that was that was one of those things where you got from from being a casual punter to being within a, the management and then actually hands on with the Greyhounds. Um one of the things when I was at, at uh, Crayford, um, and all the lads were the, that were there with me, Adam and, and Harry and, and also Danny, when a dog came into the paddock to be weighed in, I would say 90 to 95% of the time, I could tell you who that dog was, but not by his racing name, by his kennel name. That's how in, into the, the sort of the dogs that we got. And that, that was the kind of professionalism, I guess, in that, that's what Labrooks taught you, I think, really. I actually notice that a lot now with trainers and, and kennel hands at tracks. You know, they know all the dogs inside out at, at their given track. How much was the gambling linked to the buzz that you got from putting a dog in the traps and having that winner, which is what would give me a buzz? How much was the gambling linked to that for you? Yeah, I think obviously, I think when you when you go to when you when you when I first went to 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 Romford and that kind of atmosphere, it was the smell and the and the, even like the tickets and uh, that you got when you had a bet and things like that, that, that was a buzz. And, and yeah, ga- of course, gambling is, it is a buzz. But when you, when you then you go from, I suppose, being into management where you have to sort of take away that gamble. We, we, some of the lads, we, went to, we still went to Romford or we went to Hackney, say, as a bit of a busman's holiday just for, to get out of the environment of, of the Crayford circle, if you like. It was, Crayford, I find, is a real community spirit and I've still got, Lots of friends uh, there, you know, the Elaine Worse, they were there. Barry Stanton was a real good mentor uh, for me. And yeah, getting, putting a dog in the traps, Julie, and, I, and I've done, done it quite a few times. I could never profess to, to train a greyhound and I could never 
run a kennels in my own name it's it's probably just not me but to do it under the tutelage of who i think was a genius rain sounds was 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 brilliant further down the line you know but as i say i've had a, a couple of instances where where yeah I've, I've taken dogs to the track on my own and put them in the traps and they go and win and it's that is the biggest buzz the biggest buzz well, Paul, you mentioned about training dogs and, and being a part of that, uh, particularly, I would say, since I've known you with Lorraine Sams, who was an absolute genius with a greyhound, a fantastic trainer and, and many, many good times, some of which we'll, we'll touch on here. But I'm really interested to know when your partner trains greyhounds, and in her case, very often top class greyhounds, surely that gives you a massive edge when it comes to punting. I, I don't no, I wouldn't agree with that. No, I don't really think so, Julie. I think I think you you kind of you could I think when you're a punter you've got to you've got to take away the emotional side of it completely. And or, although you can you can get drawn into having a little interest bet and, and again part of part and parcel of gambling I think is is staking, working out, you know, price versus uh probability and and I I think that sometimes i think it's renowned that that uh, trainers can be the worst tipsters in the world and the, the only one thing i would say is is with the rain that there was no stone left unturned that dog got the best of everything what about from a sort of you know knowing your dog point of view i've heard kennel hands talk about stories where you know, they would go to get a dog out of the kennel on a particular day. Some days they'd come out bouncing and other days they'd just come out normally and they would know what days that dog is going to win because of it's, you know, we all wake up feeling good and bad some days. Was that helpful? Yeah, but like I always say, you've still got to put them in the traps. And, this, and again, another part of gambling is trap draws, Julie. You know, that, that they are key. Obviously, I did that the thing last year on Derby lanes and that, that's something again that's been that was been instilled into me um I know two lads uh, Paul and Alan Richardson we call Paul Podge known him years and years and years since well that since sort of 2001 2002 since I started gambling and they were the lads that I met on those steps probably 1981 that I didn't really realize who they were and what they were all about at the time but the, but Podge in particular has taught me about the lanes and the lines that the dogs run to the turn and and uh, that's something that when I was at Crayford that is something that I always did I I always would pride myself on putting dogs in the right boxes and I, I used to make notes for the race car dogs in a lot of there's a lot of sort of mentioned recently about race car comments and stuff like that and one of the lads that used to write the, the grading cars that obviously you get the official results, but when you grade, you have a grading card. And there was always a man that used to come in on race nights and race days to fill in the grading cards. And if he got a bit too too descriptive, he'd be throwing his pen down again, getting a little bit irate. But that's something that I took great pride in is being descriptive and to make sure that when I graded that dog, I put that dog in the right box. There was no there's no way that I was ever, ever, ever going to put in a, a dog in a wrong box to make a, a competitive race, if you like just wasn't going to happen and, and I think that's something that that um, you have to be aware of when you're a gambler but going back to the to the, the part of, of of training I think that all you can do really is is uh, make sure that, that dog is you know 100% and 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 Lorraine was she was great at doing that and, and her father as well 
he fed the dogs to perfection. And between them, that it was a joy to just watch them change a dog's diet, change a, uh, the amount of, that a dog was fed. And of course, I, I was just part and parcel to that. I just basically, when, when Lorraine was training, I, I just did as I was told. We used to treat dogs, used to use uh, Ron Mills, and George Drake, physios and we had used to have a big long list of 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 uh of treating treating dogs and and that's what we did to get the best out of those those dogs and i couldn't i could never remember you know lorraine taking any chance uh with with you know a dog that was only even partly sound and and her dogs would always go in there you know 100 percent and she certainly got her just rewards. You guys had some fantastic times with some brilliant greyhounds. I think my favourite memory uh, from, from your kennel was obviously Spirit and Louis winning the St. Ledger, but not just winning the St. Ledger. Uh, me being me, obviously, particularly remember him coming up to the bar at Wimbledon Dog Track yeah. afterwards. That was one of my favourite memories in greyhound racing. I always say, to, I think to be a... To be a dog trainer, you need to be a bit cranky as well. And, and, uh, and Lorraine's definitely that bit of a bit of a fruit loop in that. But she just loved, she loved the dog so much, and and the partnership she had with Gail was quite quite special. And you mentioned about the ledger. And he'd already won the Regency that year. He'd already won the TV Trophy. And and for me, he was just, he was a once we won the TV Trophy, he was an eight bend dog. He just he could really just dominate the eight eight bend scene. But she actually bought Spirit and Louis because she wanted to win the ledger. I mean, that was when he was a pup and obviously it never, well, hardly ever uh, works out, but it did in this case. But I remember we were in the dog kitchen. We used to have a, quite, a, quite a few conversations in the, in the kitchen uh, and, and Gail was talking about going for the ledger. And I, I looked at her and I said, are you mad? I said, go for the ledger, he wants, he's got to go for 10 bends. And that was a bit of a, either a, bit of a joke because I went home and I looked at the racing post, I looked at the betting and thought, well, he can beat that. Beat that, you could beat that. I thought, well, maybe it's not a bad idea. And of course, the rest was was history. But um, yeah, that that was they were brilliant times. Even leading up, when you talk about stories and the way that that um, you, you say about trainers and their opinions, Spoon Lou had a catalogue of errors throughout. It was a four round competition in those days. He went from getting a beasting between I think round one and two. He went off colour between round two and three. And in the semi-finals, it, he dropped. He dropped back, and he ran a, a weird race, a strange race. And he looked out, and somehow he dropped his head down on the line and came third. And when he came back, he was on three legs. Get emotional talking about it now. Um, and and Ray went. He went right in the final, and she worked on him and worked on him and treated him and treated him and treated him, and got him into the final. Of course, before the final. Everyone thinks, well, he can't win the final on that semi-final performance. So you, you say about having a, a little bit of an edge. That was an edge that night because I, I was stood on the steps at Wimbledon and he, his price just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was betting on Betfair and I just kept pressing buttons all night. And I didn't even know how much I'd won until I got home. It was quite a substantial amount. And and I cheered him home like I had a remote control on him that night. He turned, you know, he turned fairly handy, and that's all he had to do was turn. Handy. I think it was director's chair and and the, the leader was Lenson Lenson Joker. And uh, he, he came whizzing through obviously and, and those immortal lines from Errol. Uh, Louis wins the ledger. It was just, you know, brilliant. Uh, and that night was fantastic. Yeah, it was that, a it really was fantastic. Really great celebration. I think I, I ended up with like me being me, 
had a bit of a sham that night. Ended up with his parading jacket on my head and uh, went to the bar and looked round and kind of bought champagne and bought drinks and then looked round. Of course, then the sky, the sky uh, transmission had ended and also looked round and there was Gary Newborn and Hobbsy and the rest of Lenny Ponder. And it kind of got the, the bill got a little bit. I think that's the, the, the biggest barbell I've ever had. <laughs> but it was, it was worth it and it was quite. A, it was quite a pleasant surprise when I got home and saw my Betfair account. Excellent. Around that time you met Lorraine, uh, you were punting at Romford, you were also trying to forge a career in the media uh, in Greyhound Racing. And Lorraine was really supportive, both the punting and the broadcasting. How important is it, particularly on the gambling side, to have someone alongside you who is supportive of it? Oh, massively. Ma massively. Um, and that, that is the one thing about Lorraine. She doesn't really bet herself particularly, but she understands it. and. And yeah, no, it was it was massive because when when I I kind of got into that where I really needed to move on in, in my career and and I was looking at moving to Ireland, uh, all sorts of, of different things and and that when that advert came up for the broadcasting with um, Go Barking Mad, I would, that was I thought well, that's me that this was designed for me. And I was really lucky because I went for the. The screen test and, and and i did my screen test with ozzy osman who'd done all the live tv stuff at walthamstow and things like that so it's like it's almost like he again he took me under his wing and he said if you don't if you don't get the job after we did it he said if you don't get the job it'd be a travesty he said you were brilliant which was was a great you know uh sort of encouragement for me and the reason i went for it was because paul jacobs used to be the, the track commentator at crayford and every now and again he got into a bit of regularity of being a bit late. So I, I used to conversate, I just conversated on the first race and I quite enjoyed it. And it wasn't, people said, well, you weren't too bad. And it, that kind of gives you that encouragement. And Lorraine was a, was a big advocate of, of me when I did outside broadcast for Go Barky Mad and stuff like that. And, and um, yeah, that it was good. And, and even then, as I said to you, in that 2001, when I started there and started going to Romford and Graham Blomfield said to me, you know, get the videos and start professional punting I, I thought because I've always made it hard for punters I, I, I was never I was only a, a casual a casual punter on the horses basically and as I say if we had a, a, a night out at Romford it was just you know uh, a casual th a thing for me but Lorraine was very good at getting me out of a kind of maybe a bad run uh, which I think you need people to understand that you can't win you can't win all the time. You, you know, I defy anybody. I know a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I win every month. I don't win every month. At the end of the year, since I've been doing it 20 years now, I will always win at the end of the year. But I go on some horrendous runs, and she's always there to get you focused, to get you going back what we say, go granite, you know, go really stricter, whereas you can get a bit carried away when, you, when you're punting and try and do too much. She, she, she really, really helps me focus. And she's done that on a number of occasions. Obviously, I've, I've done it 20 years now. There's a number of challenges to overcome in a professional punting. I think um, dealing with losing runs is one of them. Another one was that when you were punting at Romford, in the end, you found it difficult to get on at Romford. And so you changed your way of doing things, brought more technology in, I think it's fair to say. And around that time, you also met Gary Noble. Yeah. Um, I remember, actually, was, I was in the studios at uh, Labrix because I was, I was freelance broadcasting then doing a lot for go barking mad and doing um doing work for lab brooks in, in in their voiceover studios in harrow 
and um I kind of I just thought when we were going to Romford and and again you know going on bad runs maybe it was it was in the middle of that where things weren't going that great and I'm just thinking this isn't this isn't working and then like you say hard to get on and I suppose the bookmakers there at Romford in the end they're not going to keep taking your bets um I, I contacted Jerry Croxford you know Jerry's done a star sports uh, betting people interview himself and and um Jerry's said yeah we've got a video watching system he said and and it's instant videos he said and, and uh it's easy to watch that and and then watch watch the pictures you know so we kind of we kind of got introduced then or you he introduced me to to gary and gary had set up this video watching system it is it's amazing it, it's kind of ch it's changed the way you know instead of watching videos and making notes and all that sort of thing on, on the on the old-fashioned way of, of doing it um it kind of revolutionized the way i was then punting and again gave me a bit of resurgence and then we it was like a almost like a co-op of 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 guys together in an office wanting to do the same thing and knocking around ideas and and again that was something that i did with alan richardson at romford to a great success uh, in those early early days and then you know kind of did it again with a different group of lads and a different track so gary noble was quite a big influence on you to change the way you did things yeah i mean gary's one of those lads that he's just again just steeped in history with with greyhounds punting he's been a bookmaker he's been an owner he's been a punter and you know a, a guy that i've got a lot of respect for and 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 again you learn you learn stuff from other people i think you know i'm 58 years old now julie and i still do not stop learning i think you've got you've got to have the ability to listen to people it, and, it, and again it doesn't matter how old the, people with experience are great but I, again re more recently i bumped into some younger lads as well uh when lorraine had um her go with flow florence we still got her in, indoors now uh, she started training back again and uh, under a, an owner trainer's license we went to perry bar met a, a guy called dan uh, dan ashton there and he was i knew instantly he knew what he was doing and you, you can learn you can learn and we uh, sort of switched to perry bar and stuff like that and th there's a lot there's lots of young guys you know you, you see uh people like david mitchell within the industry young tom mumford tom was in the office with with Gary, you can learn so much. It doesn't necessarily have to be an experienced person. It can be an enthusiastic person. I think that's what when you're in when you're in the greyhound racing. I think that that is the what grabs you is the the enthusiasm and the community spirit that you get within the sport. Well, Paul, I want to get into the nitty gritty of the gambling now on dogs and being a professional hunter. What does a normal day look like for you? Uh, generally is doing videos um and i mentioned about you know the old way of watching dvds or videos as it was then as well and then i always had my race cards and made notes on the race cards and then would print off uh, the sheets and i i kind of got out of that habit when when we were at chingford and, and doing the cards at, at, at uh, with, with gary noble but I've, I've now developed it and adapted it so that I run off the race card proof. So where, where I don't get programs anymore, I'm basically working from home, 
very rarely, obviously, and since COVID, we don't go to the track anyway, but I always, on the A4 size sheets, run those off, make my notes for that particular race, and then after that race, the day after, we'll then go through and make my notes of what actually happened. So I make a, a notes of what I think's gonna happen, and then what actually happens afterwards, and and um, keep a, basically an encyclopedia of, of, of a form book. So what are you um, looking for when you're looking at the form? Uh, I suppose looking for, again, we mentioned this, track draws, make sure that your dog gets a clear run, you, you're looking obviously to, to 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 try and bet the fastest dog in the race, but it doesn't always mean that if you get a fast dog with a with a bad track draw, sometimes that would would lend itself to to it not winning. So, and the other important thing that I do, which I think I've actually got in my later years, really proficient at, is is pricing up. So price price is always going to be key. So as I mentioned before, you know price versus probability, and it. It's something that that you can you can make a dog a six to four favourite, and it'd be be a good thing if you don't get six to four, and it ends up being backed and going into four to six, eight to eleven on on Betfair. I, I might even turn around and go from being a bet to a lay. That is that that's how those margins are. That's the the belief in your prices. So you you you're basically trying to be master of your trade, where you believe in your prices, and your prices are everything. What about overcoming challenges of gambling? And I'm assuming COVID has brought a pretty, pretty big challenge for you, particularly in the first lockdown when we didn't have racing here in the UK. How did you manage that? Well, I'd, I'd started, I think I mentioned, I started punting up uh, when we first moved to, to Leicestershire, we're in Waltham on the Wolds, and we, we moved here to get mortgage free, and we were kind of going to Perry Bar when we had Florence. And I was doing Perry Bar, and then things changed there when the Hall Green trainers in. I just kind of didn't feel comfortable, and I, we ended up then moving Florence to Nottingham. And I, I got, I got into to Nottingham probably about three years ago. And funny enough, when I was in between looking at tracks before, well, I think I mentioned when I left Romford and I switched and did Crayford. Um, I got the videos from Mel for about three months and I waited and waited and waited. And I think I had about 17 bets and had one winner and I just couldn't make it pay that. Just, I couldn't get that difference between the speed at Romford and Crayford to, to the gallopers at, at Nottingham. But I, I feel, again, I probably got, as I've got older, my abilities probably improved. I think, I think you need sometimes to take two steps back and not get carried away. I think sometimes you can compartmentalise dogs you need to, to be quite open-minded. And sometimes the best bets that I have are dogs that have had 50 races around there. Most people will say, oh, I always look for a pup or something that was really unlucky. But I think sometimes it's trap draws. And, and if you know that that dog has got a little bit of an easing grade, and there are grades within grades, but it's, it's that ability to understand that speed. I'm not really massive on sectionals. I don't really go a lot on, on sectionals per se. Uh, it's it, Obviously, you need to to be reasonably quick at the end of a or or, or the end time, and, and that gives you a guide. But again, going allowances can be a little bit of a uh, it's one one man's so the race manager's uh, opinion against yours sometimes. So that has to be taken into consideration. That that always comes through when I'm doing the notes the day after, where I look right the way through and say, did they get that right? Did that dog actually go that little bit faster? So. 
yeah, getting into that routine of, of basically doing videos, working hard and getting your prices. And then from then trying to sort of say, well, am I going to have a try and get an early early price bet or am I going to wait or is it going to be bet fair and what what's it going to be? And that again, it's just it's it's just assessing it all. And in terms making of judgments. Tracks, in terms of switching tracks, when there wasn't racing here, you very quickly had to switch to betting on Australian greyhound racing. So how did you find? I mean, there's lots of differences in Australian greyhound racing. How was that? Yeah, again, and going back, it was, you know, it was Gar- I got back in touch with Gary and and said I'd like to get into how do you get how do you get what do you know any websites where you can watch videos? He said, well, I'm actually developing the the track dog system that he had for the English dogs into the Australian model and and, and again he did it brilliantly and and we started knocking ideas around and we were doing the victorian tracks and i knew through my go barking mad days uh doing doing uh the 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 racing there which I, at the time that was what 2001 i got hooked on there was brett lee who started there and it was just it really got i was really into the so the australian racing bad and it kind of then came full cycle and and i was suddenly suddenly realized that the, I wasn't the only one that was doing that sort of thing. There were a lot of other uh, other lads uh, getting involved, but it was, I found it hard, Julie. I found it really difficult to get into it because we were doing the Victorian tracks and they can go from Warragul to, to the Meadows to Sandown and all different tracks. They don't need to grade at one particular track. And, and I got, again, betting really small to just feel my way into it got into a good rhythm and then just hit a brick wall. And I found it really, really difficult in the end. And that's when I kind of then, I rung a, a man that I'd, I'd rung a couple of years ago, uh, Harry Finlay. I knew Harry was into the, the Australian dogs. And we started chatting through and, and I kind of started again. And we, we started then leaning towards uh, Western Australia, a bit more Perth, uh, the Mandura and Cannington. And, and that has been, a real success uh, something that I, i've really enjoyed doing and then nottingham came back and i started getting back into to nottingham and, and the derby came and but i've kept doing australia and it was hard it wasn't easy it's, you know it's, it's all about adapting and learning and, and developing all the time gambling isn't easy julie don't let anyone tell you that it is you know you, i make a living out of it and i make a decent living out of it but it's never ever a guarantee that you're going to win and and i know in the long run i'll always win but those tough patches in between they're not easy and that's why you need a good woman by your side there's no danger there i think it takes a hell of a lot of commitment as well um your style of gambling is sort of little but often if you like isn't it yeah i'm not a big i'm not a big player i'm not i'm not a big player at all um but Again, it's these prices. When you, I, I'm always looking. I'm always looking for value. You, I won't really bet too many short ones. And again, it's always, it's everything's key. I mean, you know, last night I bet a dog at eleven to ten that I made four to seven. You know, that that was in an open at Nottingham. But generally, I'll be looking for a for a dog I make six to four, seven to four that that gets chalked up nine to two and and, and five to one. And you try and take advantage of those those early prices. Do you get affected by dogs being punted or drifting? I know you said you might switch tack and if a dog becomes too short, it might become a lay rather than a play, but does it influence your thoughts on how you think the race might go? If you fancy a dog and it's three to one and it's, they drift out to six to one, would that affect your thinking? 
Now, the theory is, I mean, that was a Jerry Croxer theory, you just add more on. Um, because I think once you start thinking, ah, oh, this dog's no good, this, uh, you know, there's something wrong, then that gets to your to your head and you then I think I think keeping a, a level head and and watching markets and assessing the thing is everyone's got a different opinion and your your opinion is not going to be right all the time but you, it, again it's all about long run and 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 taking advantage of what what you perceive to be errors you said you focus on particular tracks as well I know at the moment that's very much Nottingham what about other things that might influence dogs you want to back? Do you look at trainers? Do you look at breeding? Things like that? Uh, don't tend to look. Lorraine's quite good. She, she likes to look at breeding. She's quite good. At, I mean, you know, we've had a bit, done a bit of breeding ourselves, but not not really. Um, no, it's not really something. No, I don't really look at trainers. I tend not to look at trainers. No, I think, I think that, again, that's that. You, you, you start getting an emotional. So I think you've got to take the emotion away from, from gambling. I think. It's got to be purely what you what you kind of go. It's definitely an instinct. It's, it's an instinct that you you sort of learn to to develop, I guess. And and um, you're just looking for something. I think you price up the chances. Whatever you think will get a clear run, and that that is again key. Um, and then just bet accordingly. We talked about how you handle losing runs and I think it sounds like it's a good job you have got Lorraine there by your side to help you through them. What about other strengths as a gambler? What would you say are your strengths in helping you be successful? I would say uh, grafting basically. I put a lot of time. I, I've got to tell you, Julie, I, that my pals, such as I talk about Alan and, and Podge and people like that, and especially a lot of the younger kids, that they have got probably a lot more raw talent than I have. I have to work really hard to do it. It takes me quite a while. Um, but that is that is the key, is, is the determination to see it through and, and get it right, basically. I'm one of them people that if you do it, if you do a job, you do it properly. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you, as long as you get there in the end, and the end product is that you win year on year, then in my eyes, that's being successful. I've watched quite a few of these betting people interviews with professional punters and particularly around horse racing. You know, that you sort of talk about it, the horses are an animal, they're, they're kind of, but they're, they're only a living for people and, and that's fine. And same with greyhounds, greyhounds, UK's number one pet. They're not to you though, are they? They're, they're not just a, a sort of commodity that makes you money. You're very much involved in, in people. You love the dogs, you have some at home. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that, and you know, you mentioned I've, I've been, I've been an owner, I've been a kennel and I've been a racing manager, I've been a commentator, I've, I've organised a Cheltenham race and I didn't organise a Cheltenham race for any financial gain, I got paid for it, but I did it because I love the sport. I, I want, to, I want the, the sport to survive, I want the sport to be showcased and I think that um, it, it's gone from, uh, and I think this is basically through computerisation, it takes away, it takes away the the, the kind of the enthusiasm and, and the enjoyment and the, and the excitement of ground racing to just turn it into a numbers game. And that, that's what I get really annoyed by, by bookmakers not, not really taking it as, as seriously as, as they could. And that's where someone like Ben Keith, who's been a lifelong enthusiast of the sport himself and, and got money out of it, you know, by being a 
part of the industry by being a bookmaker and being a good bookmaker. But he's putting, he puts money back into it. And what he's done with the Derby, you know, he will stop um, sponsoring the Derby. They took it up to a different level you know, with Ralph Topping and Jamie Hart when they were at Hills um, Rio Quattro won the, you know, the, all that money. But then he stopped. So for Ben to do what he's done, he's kind of put back, I think, the kind of punter to, to, to bookmaker rivalry, but it's a friendly rivalry. It's, 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 it's something that's always been there, you know, right the way back through the ages of when I was at Romford, I, I used to be pals with Steve Simmons, but I used, I used to buy a car off of him, but I used to pump with him and he used to blame him. It was one of those, that, that, it's that old school thing. And I think that's what we, we try to, we need to try and get that resurgence back where it's not all that um, computerization and yeah, stop his, stop his account and send in the, the email. It's, it, I, I don't see how, how, if you're a bookmaker, how can you not take bets? That's your business. Well, there's been some news kind of touching on that recently, uh, which I think will incentivize punters uh, around the tote. And that's something that you're, you're really pleased about the news, so 5% back into the tote. Yeah, again, um, that was kind of through Harry as well. Harry, Harry was involved and we were trying to get things off the ground last year by, by me doing the tissue for the Derby, which we did anyway. And we were, we were punting on, as I said, in Australia, we were punting in on, on the Derby and trying to get things right and have that kind of heads together thing. Um, and now the tote has come through and, and Jamie Hart, who was with Hills, is, is really enthused. I mean, real good whiz kid. They've realised that greyhound racing that has been kind of used and abused by these bookmakers for so long, it, it, you can, it can be successful. So although we're not used to having a tote, when I, when I was at Romford, I used to do the tote jackpot all the time. And we used to get quite a lot of success, me and I, doing the jackpot. But the, there were no, there's no other track to, to really then make the tote pay on a saturday night we used to do it but again dwindling crowds bags meetings there's hardly anyone there now we've got through through it being online as well through covid there's no one going to a track but through it being online there's now a model which says well you can bet into a pool and you can get genuine prices a lot of these now where they throw prices out there you have a bet they slash the price there's no there's no if it's four to one there's no seven to two or three when it tends to go five to two and it I think it just it it makes it makes ground race into a bit of a joke, and I think the tote will come through now and take it seriously. And I think their allegiance now with Toaster, what Kevin's done at Toaster, I think he's been brilliant. He's, he, I mean, that's been so difficult through COVID. They're trying to get Toaster TV off the ground. Uh, Dave Clark's, I think, a breath of fresh air, really good for the sport, and he's doing hosting Toaster TV along with Hobbsy, and and. I heard news today. Hopefully, you know, we we I might be able to get some kind of commentating job there as well, which I think it just helps to make again the sport professional, appealing, and and hopefully a resurgence again through through this this assistance through the top. Yeah, I think in hard times there's uh, quite a lot for the sport to be positive about at the moment. But I just want to finish this interview with uh, one last question. I'm sort of aware that there'll be regular people watching this who might have been thinking about a career professional punting, regardless of what's happening in the world. But there'll also be people who have lost their jobs, maybe furloughed, watching this 
what is your advice to anybody who seriously wants to get into professional punting? Well, funny enough, I mean, I've got three sons, and I've I've never told them to 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 punt for a living. I never encouraged them to punt necessarily. The the two oldest ones, they they actually went in shops for me in the old days. They 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 helped me get on. But I think you're right in that because of the times that we live in, I think greyhound racing is just it's a great sport to bet on. It's you know generally what 25, 30 seconds. I think that these days there is an ability more and more, and I think the Labrooks and Chorus tracks are now giving videos free which again is such a, a massive tool for you to be an, an expert, if you like, or, or get a, a bigger insight into, into, into basing your bets in the first place. And I think, I think uh, surely if you're a bookmaker, you want, you want punters to have an opinion to have a bet. I don't really get this, well, no, make it hard for them. I don't, I don't see the business acumen of, of making it, difficult for punters to have access to videos or even get a bet on in the first place. How, how does, it's a bit like uh, Tesco saying, no, you can't have any, any trolleys or any baskets. Uh, you've just got to go around and shop and get an armful. Well, I'm not going to buy as much then. Well, no. And, and but then therefore people aren't going to bet as, as much with bookmakers if you can't let them have a bet. It's a gambling industry. Let, let's, let's embrace it and let, let's cherish it and, and let's, make the sport good again and i think the total going to help that massively but yeah going back to the the, the question right encouraging young people i think i think when this comes through more, more and more people will be betting uh, on the total they will be betting on betfair and, and hopefully the bookmakers will think well let's employ as they do in australia people to to give us a good tissue and we'll say well come on have a bet then because we believe in our prices the same as i believe in mine well, thank you so much for your time, Paul. I find it fascinating and uh, I'm in awe of the commitment that people like you show to, to making a living from gambling and, and how you do it. So thank you so much. Hopefully everybody else will find this interview interesting as well. And uh, yeah, good luck punting for the rest of 2021. If you find the Derby winner, let me know. Thank you. Star Sports are the proud sponsors of the English Greyhound Derby. All part of our commitment to the sport from the home of Greyhound Racing Betting. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.